Bibles this morning, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 12, come right to the end of that chapter, which is the end of that book. Ecclesiastes, Priedeker. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 is where we will begin to read. And as you can already tell, we are not, um, today we're not doing the normal uh, sermon of going through the Gospel of Luke. That's the series I've been doing on Sunday mornings, but God has put something different on my heart today. And very simple, very basic, nothing deep about this message at all. One of those very fundamental core issues that we don't want to lose sight of. Today we're going to talk about the judgment. And I didn't ask Francois to choose that song, but the idea of one day standing before Jesus is the perfect thought for you to have in mind as we approach this sermon today. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, Solomon writes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man if you wanted to sum it up that's how you sum it up fear God do what he said that's what life is all about verse 14 why is it so important to make sure you do your duty for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil so if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray about this. Father, help us now. We turn our attention to your word and specifically to the judgment that one day we will all face. Let it sink in deep, God. Let it be real to us this morning. You there upon your throne, we standing humbly before you, we will give an account. God, make it real. Help me to preach. Let the seed fall on good ground and bring forth fruit today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you find the most fascinating theme. Solomon, the wisest man of his day and maybe ever, humanly speaking, he's gone about to test life. He said, I'm going to try everything life has to offer and see what's good, what's bad. Which is better, to live with wisdom or folly? Which makes you feel better? What thing works out better in the end? He went through everything. Now, you read the book yourself. Over and over again, as he enjoys something, he, and he makes it clear, if you are able to enjoy the reward of your labors, if you are able to enjoy your paycheck, that is a gift from God. And it is. The fact that you have health enough to enjoy spending your money, he said that's about as good as it's going to get in this life. But Solomon also realized, if that's all there is to your life, here's the conclusion all is vanity and vexation of spirit. What was the point? I ate my prophet, like literally ate it, and that's it. And he's, his point throughout the book is if that's all there is to life, is satisfying these few desires, there's not really much worth living for. And then, verse 13, he says, you know what? Let's just skip to the end. What is the conclusion of this life experiment? What life's all about is putting God first and doing what he said. That sums up why we're on this planet. Why is it so important to do it? Because God's going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The wisest man ever, that's his conclusion. 
What a sound conclusion. If this is the case, and I believe that it is, if you believe the Bible this morning, you believe that every decision, every word, every deed of your life, you need to weigh it in light of the fact that one day I will give an account of this to God. Every part of my life needs to be in line with Him and His Word because if it's not, one day He will straighten that out. The Bible makes it clear. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Because God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. When God raised His Son from the dead, it gave us two very solid facts that we have to factor into our lives. Number one, the grave does not end you. When you hit the grave the really important stuff is going to start. Because after you die, there's judgment. When Jesus came back from the dead, that proves to us the grave does not end you. There's something on the other side of that grave. It also shows us something else. Jesus was a perfect man. If he hadn't been, he couldn't have come back out of the grave. That means that the one judging us he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He has authority. He has every right to stand and judge us because he was faced with the temptations like we are. And yet he overcame. It will be a fair and a just judgment. Paul said it so well. In Romans 2 he said, There's coming a day that God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. How does God judge us? He hands us over to His Son. He says, Son, you were down there. You lived like one of them. You have the authority to judge them. Paul points out, much like Solomon did, God shall judge the secrets of men. The secrets of men. Every secret thing. Ever since there have been preachers, they have preached about judgment. The very first preacher in the Bible is Enoch. And we are privileged to have a little snippet of his sermon. It's recorded in the book of Jude. Here's what Enoch said. First preacher in the Bible. Enoch said, The Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince, that is to convict, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. I think he was on to a theme there. <laughs> that first preacher said judgment is coming and all ungodliness will be dealt with. Noah, the Bible says, was a preacher of righteousness and in the book of Hebrews it says he condemned the world. He judged them. Moses stood up to Pharaoh and called down judgment. Samuel preached to an apostate Israel and said God is going to judge he said the same thing to a corrupt king in Saul. God will judge. Elijah stood up to his corrupt king Ahab and said God will judge. Every prophet in the Old Testament stood up to a backslidden Israel and said God will judge. When John the Baptist came on the scene, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism and the question he asked them, Ye vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, He warned them of God's impending judgment. Jesus, sweet, 
meek, mild, the Lamb of God, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus did not come, he says, to condemn or to judge the world, but to save it. And in the same breath, right after he said, I didn't come to judge, but to save, he says, but you do have one that's going to judge you. You're going to be judged according to what I said. So in other words, I don't want you to end up condemned. I want you to end up okay at the judgment. But the only way that's going to happen is if you take heed to what I'm saying. You take that lightly and you're going to have a rough time at the judgment. John the Baptist said, the wrath is coming. Jesus said, judgment is coming. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It is the ministry of Jesus to make it very clear to us judgment will be here. The Holy Spirit reminds us judgment is coming. And when you get to the last page of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20, we read, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The Bible makes it clear as we push towards the end, just as eternity begins, the cleansing agent to prepare us for eternity is an ultimate, final, upright judgment. From page to page, from cover to cover, almost every time you turn the page, the Bible is reminding us that there is a judgment. And you'll be there. Now, how can I as a pastor stand and not at some point remind you that there's a judgment? I would not be diligent about my business. I would not be faithful to my calling if I didn't warn you as John the Baptist, as Jesus, as the Holy Spirit would want me to do to guide you into truth about the judgment that you will face. Say, Pastor, I, this subject doesn't ring well with me. I, I don't, you know, the judgment's kind of a scary topic. And I don't think you should use these kind of tactics to scare people into serving God. And let me answer that objection. It's a real thing. The truth only scares you if you're planning not to obey it. The Bible says charity rejoices in the truth. When somebody tells you the truth of an impending danger, they're trying to save you from it. They're not trying to make your life difficult. Furthermore, nobody said you ought to serve God out of fear. You ought to know that the judgment is real and that God is just and He will look at every thought, word, and deed that you've ever experienced. And because of that, you must look and say, God, how exactly do you want me to serve you? How exactly do you want me to serve you? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said it so well, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in His body according to the done, whether it be good or evil. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, I know there's a judgment and you need to take it seriously. You know what he said two verses later? For the love of Christ constraineth us. So I'm going to get busy serving God because of how much Jesus loved me. 
Why? Because I realize the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Now that I know that's true, then I need to figure out what's my duty. What does God expect from me? Fear God. Do what he said. Keep his commandments. We're commanded to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fearing God does not do away with the love of God. Having a proper fear of God makes his love all the more special. When you realize just how holy he is, how upright he is, how just and true he is, the fact that that kind of God could love somebody like you and me, dirty, defiled, depraved, sinful, fallen, disgusting in so many ways, the fact that he would still love you so much and commend his love towards you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Fearing God and recognizing His his intense holiness makes His love so much better. Take your Bible, please. Hold Ecclesiastes. We'll be right back. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We tell you plenty. Week to week, we are careful to remind you of the great love wherewith He loved us. We'll never, never will we stop singing and praising God for that everlasting love. But that does not do away with the truth of a judgment. 1 John 4, verse 17. Verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect. Our love needs to be completed. It needs to be complete. Why? Look at it that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Listen to what that's saying. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. As He is, so are we in this world. We need to walk as He walked. Walk in love as He did. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Now, what happens is people grab that verse out of its context and you say, see there, if you love God, then you don't fear Him. Because love and fear don't go together. But, but that, that's, you're ignoring the context. The context is there's a day of judgment. You can stand there with your head hung and saying, I never thought about this day. I'm not prepared for this day. I have no idea what I'm going to say to God on this day. And if that's the first time you've ever thought about standing before God, you will tremble in horrible fear on that day. We're trying to spare you that and say that day's coming. But you can perfect your love now so that on that day you don't tremble. On that day you stand there with boldness, it says. Boldness to say, God, I know I wasn't perfect and I failed, but I know, I know how much you loved me. And I loved you back to the best of my ability. And I tried to put you first and love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, I tried to love others the way your son loved me. And if you go about with that perfect love, loving God, loving others completely the way Christ loved us on the day of judgment, the trembling is brought to a minimum. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. It casts out the fear of the judgment. It says, because feareth torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. What's the point? You come right, become more like Christ, walk in that love as he did, and on the day of judgment, you're not tormented. 
you don't have to sit through a sermon like this and go, oh dear, I'm panicked, what do I do? You can say, all right, preacher, go ahead and tell me about judgment so that I can make sure that my life is exactly where it needs to be because I take this seriously. I take it serious. Living in willful ignorance of this subject will not make it go away. You can shut me off and not listen to anything else I have to say for the next few minutes and go home and pretend as if that's just my opinion. But friend, one day Jesus said, you don't receive my words, you have one that judges you. The Word, which is being given to you today, it'll judge you. Run from it, hide from it. It will find you. The judgment will happen. In the Bible, it's very clear. There are two judgments. One for saved people and one for lost people. We do not all stand at the same judgment. Saved people go to something called the judgment seat of Christ. Lost people go to something called the great white throne judgment. You read about one of these in 2 Corinthians 5. You read the other one in Revelation chapter 20. If you're saved today, everything you did after you got saved is going to be judged. And when God judges it, He looks to see if you did it for Christ, if you did it properly, you can receive a reward. If you did not do it for Christ and did not do it according to His Word, then what you did will burn up. You will suffer loss. You don't get the reward. But it says clearly, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15, but He Himself shall be saved. So you're still saved. That judgment actually takes place in heaven. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that's the alive, the born-again people, judge the quick and the dead. Those are the people that have never been born again. Judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So when the rapture happens, we get taken up to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ happens there for believers, for the quick, the born-again people. But for the dead, the spiritually dead, never been regenerated, at the end of Jesus' kingdom time on this earth, judgment falls. Paul acknowledges two groups and two judgments at two different times. I don't know which group you're in, but I, I do know there's a way. If you're in the wrong group, you can get into the right group. Jesus said this right before He went to the cross, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He says, I'm going to take the judgment that the world deserves. I'm going to take that on myself. And when Jesus went to the cross, the wrath of God that we deserve to experience for our sins was poured out on Jesus. If you accept Him as your Savior, you receive Him, then the judgment has already fallen on Him. The judgment, the wrath of God for your sins will not fall on you. That is one big reason we call Him Savior. He has saved us from that wrath. If you have never trusted Him personally, I'm not saying if you've been baptized as a baby and went through the confirmation in whatever process your church had, that has nothing to do with it. If you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to save you, consciously made that decision that you are not trusting what you've done, but trusting what He did on the cross, friend, there is reason for you to fear the day of judgment. Like you can remove that fear by accepting the fact that Jesus already took your judgment for you. This is a common practice, I think, amongst farmers, but I believe it happens elsewhere. If there is a massive brush fire blowing through a field or a wide open area, in order to stop that fire, what they'll do is 
they'll start a controlled fire, right? the, the, a controlled burn. And even I've, I've heard reports of this where a farmer has fire break out on his farm and he will burn a circle in the field and then go stand in that circle. And he'll actually collect his family and they'll all stand in the circle and the fire is coming about and there's no way out. They couldn't escape so they burn that that circle and then stood in the middle after the fire had gone out in that little circle. They stand there, the rest of the fire gets to the circle and stops right there. Because that area has already been burned. You, you realize what Jesus did when he went to Calvary's cross? It was a controlled burn. He said, God, let the wrath fall on me now. And anybody that comes and hides under the shadow of the cross, the fire's already fallen there. And you're safe. The fire cannot get to you there. I want to escape that wrath to come. Then come to the cross. Cling to the old rugged cross. I want to say two things back in Ecclesiastes. I just have two points. Two simple points. Forgive me, I, before I make these two points, I've, I've mentioned the judgment seat of Christ. Believers will be judged for their service. That is, after they got saved. If you're not saved this morning, everything you've ever done, every time you've broken one of God's laws, that is what's going to be judged. And it's this simple. Are you innocent or guilty? You say, but I've done a lot of good things. But, but how does this work? If somebody steals a car and they go to court and the judge says, did you steal the car? Well, yes, but I did a lot of other good things. Is he innocent or guilty? Guilty. There's just no way around that. You're guilty. It doesn't matter how many good things you did. You say, I stole the car and I gave people rides with the stolen car. <laughs> guilty and a little weird. <laughs> but guilty all the same. You broke a law, and you must pay. Two things I want to say about judgment today. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. First thing I want to say, everyone gets judged. Everyone. Sinner, you're not the exception. It doesn't matter who's hearing the sound of my voice right now. You are not the exception. Pastor, you're not the exception. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. You're not the exception. The Bible says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And when you stand there, listen, your pastor doesn't get to stand next to you and answer for you. You answer. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It's the responsibilities on you. Everyone. One day, your name is going to be called. Just imagine, there's God on his throne. The Bible says it's a fiery throne. The Bible says the Lord our God is a consuming fire. There he is seated upon his throne millions the bible says millions of people out in front of him millions behind the throne watching the judgment and there you are one of the millions and your name is called mike michael james flick come your time has come for judgment and you slowly tread 
that lonely path, standing before God at the judgment. And those fiery eyes look down on you. And he says, now, we're not in a place where time applies. You're up here with me in eternity. So we can take as long as it needs. Let's talk about what you did. Every thought, every word, every action, everyone gets judged. You stand there alone, and, and I think there's a verse that will come ringing back to your mind immediately. If you've never known it, you'll know it now. God said this. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. God said, I really wish they would think about the end before they get there. Oh, he says, oh, the letter O. It's the word of, it's, it's the letter of pain. It's the sound of grief in one's heart to say, oh. God says, please stop. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about the path that you are now walking. Is this path going to end you in the right place? Ponder the path of your feet. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in verse number 9, listen, the Bible makes it clear God is not a respecter of persons. Everybody gets to face their judgment. Rich people get judged. Poor people get judged. Your poverty does not excuse you from judgment. White people get judged. Black people get judged. Old people get judged. Young people get judged. Ecclesiastes 9, uh, chapter 11, sorry, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Amen. This is a command directly for me, young man. <laughs> Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. What's he saying? Enjoy your youth while you have it. Because it's here today, gone tomorrow. Thank God I'm still in the middle of my youth, so I have time. But Cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Watch it and walk in the ways of thine heart. Go ahead and enjoy your life while you have the strength and the wherewithal to enjoy it. There you go. That's a, good, that's a nice command. But keep reading. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Go ahead and enjoy it, but be careful what you're enjoying because one day you will have to answer for that. Payday someday, as the famous preacher used to say. Payday someday. Students, when you get to the judgment and you stand before God, and He says, what happened from the ages 18 to 22 or thereabouts? How do you explain all this absolute rubbish and nonsense that you did? And you stand there with a brazen arrogance and say, but that was university life. I promise you that will not go over well. Walk in the ways of thine heart, the sight of thine eyes, but don't forget that God's seen what you're seeing. Don't forget that everything you're doing is being recorded and university life is no excuse. Young people, 
God does not give teenagers a pass because you're a teenager. Say, well, you know, I'm just learning and I'm just growing up and we all got to try, we all make mistakes and that's no excuse. Listen, yes, we're going to make mistakes and yes, we learn as we go, but it's, oh, please listen to this. Do not be presumptuous in your arrogance to say, well, I know it's wrong, but I'm just going to do it anyway. God will bring thee into judgment. And the earlier in life you learn that, the less heartache you'll have. God brings everyone into judgment with every secret thing. My next point and last point, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God will bring every work into judgment. Everyone gets judged and every work gets judged. Nice and simple today, right? Nothing deep. Everyone, even you. Sir, it doesn't matter how busy you are at work. You'll be judged. you'll be judged. There's no way out of it. Every work. You say, well, yes, I'm aware of it. You know, these big things that people do wrong. I, I know God's going to judge all of that. Not just big things. Little things. Every work. Every work. What is the biggest thing you could do wrong? You ever thought about that? What's the worst sin? You say, well, you know, there's Jesus talked about the unpardonable sin. That's a big one. That's a big one. It's not the biggest. You know, David prayed a very smart prayer in Psalm 19, verse 13. He said, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Then shall I be innocent from the great transgression. The biggest sin you can commit is the one that you know is wrong and you did it anyway. You know there was something else God expected from you and you just chose to do it your way instead of His. That is a slap in the face of God. That open rebellion, that stubbornness, it is as wickedness and idolatry, the Bible says. It doesn't matter how big or how small the issue was. God will bring it into judgment. Even little things, Jesus said, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. What does that mean? When you're just hanging out, come on, skeer, come on, spry, come on, prat, let's just chat all those words. All those words. Just hanging around. Just, just talking nonsense. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, we're just careful. You say, Brother Mike, how little of the words, how, how small would the words have to be? In the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, God said that the enemies of Israel, He said, I'm going to destroy them because when God was punishing Israel, the enemies looked on it and went, aha. And He said, because they said, aha, I'm going to burn them to the ground. That's the God we're dealing with. Because of one little word, aha. That's more a noise than a word. And God's listening to every bit of it. You know, when I was 18 years old, I was driving, had a brand new car. It wasn't a very nice one, but it was a new one. And it was raining, busy traffic, you know, a lot of traffic. And I, I looked down just for a moment. I didn't realize that the traffic had stopped at a robot. And I was a little bit downhill. The roads were a little slick from the rain. I wasn't going fast at all. 
but I hit the brakes a little too late. I don't know, barely, you know, just boom, bumped into the guy in front of me. Because I had a little Ford Aspire, it was a, you know, puny little car, boom, my hood, you know, my bonnet, boom, it bent up. It looked like I was in a bad accident, but it was really just a bad car. <laughs> but because it's an accident, I had to pull over and the police came and, you know, they fill out the report. Nobody's hurt. It's not a big deal. It's a formality. But I'm an 18-year-old with a traffic ticket. I had never been in trouble with the law before. And the policeman said, you'll have to appear in court. When he said appear in court, I felt my heart sink down to my shoes and I thought, oh no. I didn't know what the punishment was for traffic ticket. <laughs> and it's not like South Africa where you could say, so how many Fentas? <laughs> I didn't know. He said, go to court, so I'm going to court. I, I can remember being so stressed, I had to wait like a month to go to court. I finally, I, it's my day in court, and that judge, you know, that judge is just going through the parking tickets and traffic tickets real quick, you know, one after another, and I'm just standing there nervous, and I'm shaking, and, and, he, and the judge says, all right, uh, Mike, Mike Fluch, because my last name is a wreck, so Mike, Mike Fluch, and I, nervously, I got up in front of the judge, the judge says, so, so what happened? I said, Judge, I'm so sorry. The, the, the traffic, there was a lot of traffic, and, and the rain was coming, it was downhill, I, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry. And he just said, eh, don't worry about it, dismissed. And I thought, what? I just spent a month nervous that I was a wreck and I couldn't sleep. And the judge literally within five seconds said, ah, no big, dismissed it. Didn't have to pay or nothing. Had to pay the court fees and that's it. I walked out of there and thought, man, I was nervous for nothing. What a little thing. And yet I was a wreck in my mind. Say, Pastor, what's the illustration you're trying to give us? My judgment in that traffic court was small and little, and I really didn't need to worry about it. Guys, that is the exact opposite of what you're facing here. You are not facing a puny little traffic ticket that the judge is just going to say, no big deal, pass. That is the exact opposite of this judgment. Nothing about that is the same. Our verse says, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. You know, when Adam sinned, he tried to hide it with fig leaves. He tried to hide his shame. And then, when he heard the voice of God, he, he hid behind a tree. Double hid it. Didn't work. Moses killed an Egyptian hit him in the sand, and the next day, somebody says, yeah, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? He thought he hit it well. He didn't. Achan, in the book of Joshua, he took that Babylonian garment that he's commanded not to take. He took the gold and silver from the enemy's army, and he hid it under his tent. He tried to hide it, but Joshua stood before him and said, Confess, give glory to God. Why'd you do it? You can't hide it. Never a clearer verse has been given than Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can hide it, you can bury it, you can convince everybody in your life that it never happened, but it did. Every secret thing. That woman 
that you looked at and have been lusting after in your heart? That secret desire that no one else knows about? God knows about it. That business deal that you did under the table, there is no record of it on the books. Oh, oh, not on earthly books. But it's written in somebody's book. Those videos that you watched and you made sure that you went to a specific page so it doesn't go into your search history. Oh, it's in somebody's search history. Those angry, gossiping, backbiting words that you said about somebody behind their back, they will probably never know that you said it. Not until the judgment. Every secret thing. Say, Pastor, when I take a look at what I've done, what I've been doing, I don't know if I'm ready for this judgment. You can fix that. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Here's what you do. You take a look at your life and you say, God, if I had to stand before you right now, I do not feel prepared. So just show me what it is I need to change, what it is I need to make right. And, and friend, listen, if you've come today and you've never been saved, and you say, preacher, I get it. If I stood before God, he wouldn't say I'm innocent. He would have to say I'm guilty. I don't want to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. How do I fix that? Run to the, don't walk, run to the cross where the judgment has already fallen and say, Lord, you died in my place. There's no way I can save myself. Please save me. Judge yourself and say, I am a sinner worthy of punishment. But God, in your great mercy, you gave my punishment to your son. Say, Brother Mike, I'm already saved. Then you need to realize there's only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Maybe it's a good time to take inventory of your life and say, Lord, I don't want to wait till the judgment and have to apologize there. I'm saved, I'm your child, and nothing will ever change that. But because you loved me, I want my love to grow and to be perfected. I want it to be like Christ's love so that I can have boldness in the day of judgment. Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm scared. We can do away with the fear by perfecting your love. And it all starts with recognizing how much God loved you. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Connie's going to play something quietly. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Connie, if you don't mind, that song that we sang that, uh, right before the service, if you don't mind playing that slowly. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you a moment to think on what you've heard. That judgment's a real thing. Just because it's going to happen one day in the future and it hasn't happened yet makes it no less real. You haven't died yet. One day you're going to die. The fact that it hasn't happened yet makes it no less real. Just means you still have time to prepare. The old prophet said, prepare to meet thy God. So my question for you this morning, are you prepared to stand before the Lord?
Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to give, give us a way out of that. But if you choose to ignore what he did, his word will judge you. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, listen, the judgment is real, but so is the love of God. So is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And if you've never asked the Lord to save your soul, you can do that this morning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the whole show. But it is an important part. We have an altar up here in the front. We call this our altar. It's a place where you can approach God, draw nigh to Him. You might want to consider taking advantage of that this morning. Just stepping out. No one's looking. You can just come between you and the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm coming forward now to deal with some of this stuff because I know one day I'm going to step out there all by myself. And I'd rather get it straight now than wait till then. So, Lord, I'm approaching now to show you how serious I am. I'm judging myself. God, I'm wrong. I want to make it right. You know what you'll find? You humble yourself, you'll find grace. You'll find mercy. Say, Pastor, I'm just not sure about this judgment. I I don't even know where to begin. Then, Then tell the Lord that. That's good, just be honest. God, I don't even know what to fix first. You know what the Lord will do? He'll put His finger on the first thing you need to do, the first step you need to take. And He'll help you get ready for that day. He cares about you. We'll give these folks a little bit of time. There's still time for you, sinner. There's still time for you. If you're breathing, you still have a chance to make things right with God. Solomon tells us, if you think about it, that's the whole show. That's the whole duty of man is to get ready for that judgment. Living a life in loving service to Christ is the best way to get ready for that judgment. Sinner, you will never regret one thing you ever did for Christ. You'll never regret that. What will you do with Jesus? In just a moment, we'll close the service. But I do hope and pray that whatever God has planted in your heart today will grow and become fruitful and pleasing to Him.
Father, we thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts, reminding us today how seriously we need to take this. God, how can we ever thank you enough for sending your Son to die in our place, to show us what love actually is, so that you can take away that fear of the day of judgment, God? How can we praise you enough? Lord, if if there is someone here not saved, might this be the day that they humbly come to you admitting their need and accept you as their Savior. Might this be the day. Please, God, work in that heart. Dismiss us with your blessing and with the realness of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight. Six o'clock, we do have Bible school. Join us for that.